Welcome to another episode of The Ron Show. I am joined by Sarah, who is um, a friend of mine from Twitter, as most people who are on the podcast are. they mainly friends of mine from Twitter. I have thought about bringing on a na- some neighbors of mine, but I'm terrified of what the hell are we going to talk about? Like, that, that's the scary thing. Like, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to have neighbors that I like, but like... The, the the funny part about where I live at is that Malcolm lives direct, like on the same side of the street as I do, but I don't yeah. ever see him. You know, he has his life, you know, he plays football and stuff. And one of the uh, Aaron Neville's son lives almost at the corner of Carondelet and Jackson. And I didn't know who he was. Until I was like, wait a minute, you're you're Ivan never like I just never put two and two together. I was just like, oh, it's just some guy, you know, I would see a guy out there. I'm like, okay, that that might be his, you know, his grandson. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna leave them be and keep, you know, and you know, keep my distance and stuff. So I've been that meaning sounds like to get a people. pretty interesting neighborhood. Sorry. I have an interesting neighborhood. It's just the people that live in my complex are idiots. Like there's a guy who walks around with a Trump hat. Still. Yes. <laughs> okay. He walks around with a Trump hat, and it's it's hilarious. I, the reason why he does it, he knows that no one around here is gonna say it. So to keep me from going off, I just stay to myself. And I'm pretty sure he's an anti-vaxxer, among other things. But that's not why we're here, Sarah. We're here to talk Aren't sports, you? right? Yes, yes. I'd rather talk sports than I'd rather talk sports than mock mock than shit talk my neighbors. I do it like as a <laughs> I do it as a opening monologue because it's like I do talk about how stupid my neighbors, how stupid some of my neighbors are. But I do it like as a running, it's a, it's a running gag. But this weekend was probably the best first and second round we've had in a long time. It felt so good to see the NCAA tournament look like the NCAA tournament this year, uh, Sarah. And not just for the men's side, but for the women's side. We saw uh, the upsets by F Florida Gulf Coast, uh, Florida Gulf Coast. We saw Central Florida get their first win in program history in the NCAA tournament. We saw Jackson State uh, give LSU everything that they could uh, in the first round. And of course, on the men's side, we saw the Saint. We saw Saint Peter. We saw um, what Miami is doing, and we saw Michigan. And we almost saw. Coach K get retired by Michigan State. So that being said, what were some of the takeaways from the the first two weeks? I mean, first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, from your opinion? Well, I thought you know the, it was like you say, so much fun uh, to see these upsets on both sides. Um, the women's game, I think, has been maybe unfairly criticized um, for not having the parity of the men's game and and not having the upsets and the things that make it fun and and um, uh, I guess the uh, women <laughs> heard people say that and took that personally. Um, one of the things that stood out was um, how loud that women's crowd was in Iowa City. 
for for that update um, upset of, of Creighton over Iowa. Um, that stands out a lot to me and that that winning shot was made by the, the one who had transferred in from, from Iowa. That was, that's, that's huge. Um, on the men's side, uh, I'm a newly diehard St. Peter's Peacocks fan. Um, it's all a lot of fun. And part of that is because I have not looked at my brackets at all. And like, I pulled them out so that I could be on your podcast. And that's the first time I've looked at them since I submitted them. And they're not good, Ryan. They're, they're not good at all. And that's I okay. Mean, I looked at, I looked at, um, I looked at um, the, uh, the brackets for, for my bracket, for example, for my bracket, for example, and I'm just pulling up the one. I, I have one with brackets, fanatics, but I have the ESPN one which is a much easier, according to ESPN, I'm in the 92 percentile. That's uh, pretty good. The 92 percentile with the women's. Uh, the only ones I got wrong was South Dakota. Uh, the only ones I got wrong in terms of the Sweet 16 was South Dakota, was uh, South Dakota, Creighton, Ohio State. And then on the men's side, um, the ones I got right was Gonzaga, Duke, UCLA, Arizona, Villanova, Kansas. I don't, if you had told me that Iowa State and Miami would be playing for a spot in the Elite Eight, I would have laughed at you, Sarah. Right. I would have laughed at you. I, I didn't see that coming at all. Um, and I think it's fun to admit that. I think that um, predicting the outcome is like not not that much fun it's fun to take these guesses and it's fun when you're right but um you know i think that getting too wrapped up in the bracket is a mistake that you see a lot of people make as far as just ruining their own good time uh, maybe it's because everybody gambles more than i do or I, I don't know people take it very seriously i think it's fun when my bracket's in shambles um and at no point at no point would I have told you that Miami or Iowa State would be in the Sweet 16. I would not have. I would have thought that was very silly. Um, I mean, I, I had. I do know. I do know. I had USC going to the Sweet 16. I just thought that Auburn just looked too vulnerable. Auburn uh, they had, vulnerable. They had looked too vulnerable. And I thought Michigan looked too vulnerable, and now I look like a fool. Like that. That did not pan out at all the way I expected it to. Uh, I think with Michigan, I think the thing is adversity is like the best motivator because everyone has said Michigan didn't deserve to get in as opposed to Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm like, well, Texas A&M, here's the, here's the thing with Texas A&M. Here's a, here's a, here's a side note. Don't have any bad losses. Um, and more importantly, it's always about how what you schedule, um, what you schedule in terms of of your you know of the um, in terms of you know the um, the turn you know in terms of your um, non conference schedule. Right, and Texas A and M has a, a pitiful non conference schedule. They do basically nothing. I mean, Until yes, I mean, you went, yes, they went five and they went five and five, but 
look at some of their wins. Like they had some horrible losses. Uh, they had, I mean, they did lose to Wisconsin. Uh, they did lose to Wisconsin. I'm just looking at their schedule. Um, they lost to TCU. They lost. That was a a good loss. They lost to TCU. Uh, but they also lost to South Carolina. They lost. Mm. To, uh, they lost to South Carolina. They lost to Kentucky. They lost to Arkansas. Um, and then they lost to. They lost to us. They lost to Auburn. They lost at Vanderbilt, Whoa. which should never happen. You should, not lose to, you should not lose to uh to Vanderbilt. They had some good wins. I mean, they beat they beat uh Alabama. They beat they beat a couple of tournament teams. They beat Alabama. Um, they also beat um. What else did they beat? They beat Notre Dame. They okay. That's a strong win. Yeah. You know they they had some strong wins, but their their non conference was just terrible. I mean, you look at they, their non conference except for the neutral the neutral site the neutral site uh, tournaments. It was pretty bad. I mean, you look at who they played. They played North Florida, Al- uh, Abilene Christian, Texas A and M Corpus Christi, Houston Baptist. Um, they played. New hey, Orleans. Texas A and M Corpus Christi is a, is a tournament team. Right. But <laughs> technically, yeah, they are. I mean, they are. <laughs> they they played Oregon State. They played Central Arkansas. They played a lot of you know cupcake teams. Like these were by games and these were by wins. So. That being said, um, you shouldn't have a loss. Like losing in January is like having a bad loss in January is not a bad thing. Having a bad loss in February and early March is a bad thing. And that's what Texas A&M had. They had a bad loss in, Feb- a bad loss in February because the, the committee doesn't care about everything that happens before February 1st. After February 1st, you shouldn't have any bad losses. You can have you can have you can have some good losses. You can't have any bad losses, and that's what screwed up Texas A and M. Yeah, it's definitely about what have you done for me lately, and and Texas A and M didn't put itself in any kind of position to argument to argue anything different. Um, like like you said, they didn't play anybody, and then when they you know have some some stumbles. Oh, okay, you're getting the full Sarah Kelly experience as my dog has chimed in. Um, she's not too hot on the Aggies. I think though that some of these high points might mean good things for Texas A&M in the next couple of seasons. And that would be fun to watch. Um, I have a soft spot for them. I, my first job out of college was in Bryan College Station. So I have been to quite a few games at Reed Arena and it is fine. It is a perfectly adequate environment. It, it is. I, I think, <laughs> I think okay. Buzz Williams is doing a great job there. Um, I agree. I agree. I, I think, you know, there's now, a, you know, there's now a generation of people that don't know how bad Texas A&M basketball used to be. And it started with, you know, when Billy Gillespie got there, Yeah, he started that and then it just kept adding on. And the fact of the matter is Texas A&M has been the more sweet 16 since 2008 in Texas. Imagine, Is that true? Yeah. Like, wow. like Texas A&M, I think Texas A&M, Texas A&M has been to, I think, I want to say, I, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure I'm telling the truth here, but I know 
they went in 2007. Uh, Texas A&M went in 2007. Uh, and then they went in 2016 and they went in 2018. But they've been to the uh, Sweet 16 more, they've been to the Sweet 16 more times than Texas. Texas hasn't gone since 2008. I remember 2008. <laughs> that was the oh big year. Oh my God. Oh my God. That, that was a very good year. I was on suicide watch that night. I was on suicide because you know I'm oh, from you're Memphis. Oh, you're a Memphis I'm guy, a, aren't you? Yeah, I'm from Memphis. That's and right. I'm a Memphis Tiger fan. I was on suicide watch that night, um, Sarah. Because was, when Mario Chalmers hit that shot, I don't remember nothing else except I went home and my roommate, his name was Big Sean. This was Big, Big Sean before. Before the rapper. <laughs> before the rapper. And I was on Suicide Watch. I was banging the door. I was thinking about, I was like literally thinking like, homicidal thoughts that night. I'm like, I'm just gonna go and beat the crap out of Mario Chalmers. I'm gonna go beat Bill Self's ass. I'm beating everybody's ass when I go to Kansas. I'm going to Kansas to do this. It's I'm glad you chose peace. <laughs> well, apparently I did because he took he took my keys. He took my keys. He's like, you're, he took my keys. He sat me down. He said, Ryan, you're staying in this house. You're staying in this house. And all I could remember was free throws. If he gotta hits make your the free throws. free throws, and I always tell this, in winning time, you got to make those free throws. You got to make free throws. the biggest lesson from that game. I obviously, like as a Kansas fan, had a very different experience, but I walked away with exactly that same final thought of you have to make your free throws that's free money you have to take it it and and uh that's really um for a long time was you know like a, a calipari like issue it was um it, he seems to have cleaned it up in the last few years with his kentucky teams uh and i think um you know he's he's kind of got that under control but for a long time it was all these one and dones who couldn't make free throws and they were pretty easy teams to beat when it when it came down to it even though they were so so talented it, it was like the it was like the most confounding thing every year this was like this and i think you know i talked to like i talked to some people about it i was like it was like it's a mental block it's like a mental block thing and we almost lost, I remember, we almost lost to Mississippi State in the second round. I thought we were going to lose that game to Mississippi State. And somebody at the arena in Little Rock had opened the door or something, and Joey Dorsey had pointed it out, and it was like a little glare from the sun. And I was like, this is going to be very interesting. We end up beating Michigan State. We beat Texas. And that's like, again, that was the last time Texas made it to the second weekend in basketball in the NCAA tournament. Like Texas Tech, Baylor, A&M have all, and Houston, four schools have gone to the round, to the second weekend more recently, more recently than Texas. That's kind that's of, wild. That is, it's insane to think. It's insane to think that. 
Um, that being said, um, Sarah, we talk about last year, and I want to go back to last year. And I want to, and the reason why I want to go back to last year is because we saw what happened with um, the women's tournament when they were in their bubble in the men's tournament. And looking at that tournament, do you feel like the NCAA has learned their lessons in the equitable treatment of both of these tournaments? Well, the short answer is no. But I think, you know, the more nuanced answer is that they have done the things that are the most visible. You can see that, you know, the um, swag bags that they all get to take home are pretty much identical. Um, they get to use March Madness in the branding, which a lot of people didn't even realize was um, reserved only for the men until this year. Um, they did, I think maybe the best thing that they did this year for parity, you know, for the equality between the men's and women's tournaments is, is do Selection Sunday on the same day instead of uh, waiting the next day and rolling that out Monday. Um, that seems to make one of the biggest differences because you saw really big numbers in those um, you know, in those reveals on TV. Um, and uh, you're seeing uh, some of these biggest crowds. You saw sellout crowds at Iowa. You saw um, the most, uh, it's been like the most attended uh, women's tournament in history. And it all goes to what I've been saying for a long time, which is that you have to invest in the women's sport and, and you'll get back everything you put in because that's where the growth is. You're never going to attract any new men's basketball fans. Everybody who's ever cared about men's basketball is already fully in on it. Um, but all of the growth is on the women's side of pretty much every sport. And uh, the investment in the historically in women's sports has been so little. And you're seeing like, just like you give them even like something close to what they're giving the men and, and the dividends are huge because everybody's been sort of waiting for them to be able to get the TV exposure and to, to get all those things. So you know, I think the NCAA has a long way to go, but they did a few things right this year and um, it's definitely paying off and that might encourage them to to uh, keep going with that. That and the threat of lawsuits will also probably encourage that. The thing to me with it, what, what stood out with the women's tournament last year was they had to get shamed into doing the right thing. That's really the problem I had. Like they literally had to be shamed into doing the right thing. It was sort of like here in, in Louisiana, they had the women's golf tournament. And mm -hmm. uh, Jeffrey Fan, who is a longtime friend of mine, we were talking about this. And I said, if this had been the men's golf tournament, they would have been moving heaven and earth to get that game played, to get that tournament played. But because mm -hmm. it's the women, they didn't move heaven and earth. And we had like a big rainstorm that week in Southeast Louisiana. I remember it rained for like two or three days. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you mean to tell me that they couldn't find another golf course? Not just not another golf course. You mean to tell me that they couldn't do anything to make that golf course championship uh, level? Because I'm like, if this had been the men, you would have moved heaven and earth. Right. Yeah. And uh, you, you just, you'd be surprised 
how much success women's sports will have when you take them seriously and you fund them and you give them the same attention that that men get you know for their preseason games and their scrimmages and their you know like things that don't even matter um if you put that energy toward women's sports you see the fan base grow you see the tickets sell you see the eyeballs on the tv and we've been saying this whole time like if you build it they'll come but nobody's nobody's been trying to build anything um outside of you know the people who are very closely involved the coaches you know the people who run the sport specifically my my dog once again is very passionate about this her name's lavender and she's barking at me to i think say that she thinks i'm right pretty sure pretty sure she thinks i'm right well, okay, yeah, I, and I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I went to the, the school I went to. I went to uh, I went to Christian Brothers University, mm-hmm. and I've been getting all these text messages from people saying that I'm all right. Like, people, I am all right. If you're listening to the podcast, I am all right. We didn't get hit or anything here uh, here in New Orleans on, on, on my side of the city. Um, the thing is, at Christian Brothers, like. The men's team, the men's, the men's team, the men's basketball team got a lot of support and everything. Got mm-hmm. a lot of support, and then the women's, they didn't get any kind of support, and and they were just getting like table scraps. So, I remember saying to somebody, if you give the women this, you know, and and this is what I saw. It was like with the women's basketball program, they were getting table scraps. And what I mean by table scraps, they they didn't have charters. The men got charter buses. The women really didn't get charter buses. This was when I was going to school there. I don't know how it is now. Um, The softball program, uh, I knew the, the coach for the softball program. Her dad, God rest his soul, had helped out with their field and everything helped out like was like really? a volunteer assistant coach and i remember they came on my radio show in college and i was like you know what i told my co-host them women not gonna be here long because they know what's up they're not getting any kind of support yeah uh, any kind of support from um from the uh from the athletic director and i believe and this is my honest opinion the uh the people the people that were in charge at Christian Brothers, they had a very antiquated view of women's sports. And the thing you have to do now, sir, is get the the antiquated ideologies out of the athletic director's chair. If you get younger athletic directors who are a little more progressive progressive thinking and tell the and tell the boosters to go uh, the boosters to go fuck themselves you will get the you will get that kind of the uh, the equity that you've been talking about but a lot of these athletic directors are not going to tell those boosters no cuz those boosters pay their bills right yeah it's a fine line to walk because like those are the people who buy your lunch so you can't really all the way tell them to go fuck themselves but you have to be able to lead them in in the direction, and that can be hard depending on your fan base. And you know, if Christian Brothers has a more conservative, um, you know, alumni base in general, that's going to be a harder push. Mm-hmm. But you know, women's sports are not really all that controversial as far as whether they should exist at this point. And and so I think that 
you know, most most alumni bases can can be moved in that direction, but it, it's going to be a harder pull in some places than others for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I told someone, um, I think I don't know if you know uh, Kate Gladow. Kate Gladow has been on my on my podcast, and I said the whole thing. The, the way that made me, the thing that made me progressive in terms of women in sports was my grandmother. My grandmother would watch the basketball NCAA tournament like I would. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me more progressive at a very young age. It didn't make me all the way progressive because progress, progress is something that you do. You take little bites of the apple and everything. And that's how you get your progress. And I explained to someone, if it wasn't for me watching basketball with my grandmother, I don't think I would have been able to value a woman's opinion on sports like I do now. If I didn't have that exposure growing up, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have, my, my views would have been very different. Right. My grandmother is the one who um, first watched football with me. My mom was never into it. My dad never was. But uh, I have these really great memories being really little with, you know, my size Barbie and, and watching the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s because that's what my Nana did and, and watching OU. And I'll always remember that she followed the men's tournament and the women's tournament, you know, OU's men and women's team just equally closely because that's what was important to her. Um, is is the Sooners and and so um, it sounds like we both have some pretty good grandmothers and that's that's exciting and, and I'm really excited for all the younger generations that are going to have that so much more often than we did. Right and I think I think the thing is when we talk about generational things and as I say we, we talk about Texas A&M and like there's a generation of kids that are coming up now that don't remember how bad Texas A&M basketball was the same way that there's a generation, there's kids that don't even know how bad Baylor basketball was. Like those, like, and you're a Kansas fan, you know, back in the day, those were two easy wins. Kansas, yes. I mean, Baylor and uh, Baylor and uh, Texas A&M. And you have a generation of kids that don't know how bad they used to be. And you see that with Kansas State football. There's kids that don't know how bad Kansas State football used to be. You know, and, and it was and so bad. <laughs> it was bad. I didn't know how bad it was until I watched the documentary Miracle in Manhattan. I and I, I was like, holy that. shit, this was a bad program. And I didn't even know they had that good of a basketball history either. Because I was like, yeah, I'm like, wait. Throughout most of my life, Kansas State basketball has been like mediocre, but they really do have a basketball history that was at one point on par with Kansas for a little bit the state itself has a pretty strong history in in basketball it's uh we're no Indiana but we're up there as far as like that's just uh always been the more popular sport in Kansas not that football is not important but um I I don't know for whatever reason um maybe it's I don't know it's maybe it's the weather but our weather's not as bad as Indiana's I want everyone to know that that's important to me um but yeah, basketball's just always been like a big part of our culture as a state. So it makes sense that both schools have had some some good moments there. Um, it's just that 
Dr. Naismith worked at my school and not at the other school. Yes, he buried he was in like my only, hometown, not in somebody else's hometown. He, so. he was the only coach to have a losing record. Yes, the, the only University of Kansas men's basketball coach to have a losing record, and he basically invented the game. Yes. It's I mean, one of my I mean, favorite. But, I mean, that's a good thing to have. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, I think, you know, I, I think with, with LSU, with L, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. LSU basketball, if you take away Dale Brown and everything that Dale Brown did um, all the way up to now, you really have nothing. There's literally nothing. If you take away everything that Calipari did at Memphis to now, you have a lot of things, Final Fours, Sweet Sixteens, and everything. Like Memphis has a really good basketball history, but LSU history, LSU basketball history has been, you know, the last 50 years has been okay, but it's not like Memphis. It's not like Memphis. It's like when LSU lost in the first round in basketball in, in, bas- in basketball uh, in the NCAA tournament, everybody was like, oh yeah, when is a you know, oh yeah, there was baseball season. We have that to look forward to. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, for some reason it feels like the SEC is not huge into embracing basketball, particularly on the men's side. That was sort of the feel that I got when I was in college station is that um they were more interested in almost anything else. Uh, they would have good soccer crowds. They would have, you know, gymnastics obviously is huge in the SEC. Uh, softball is huge. Um, and it, it was really, really like pulling teeth sometimes to get people to go see, even when Texas a was pretty good to go see those basketball teams. It just like, there's just something about that culture that um, the SEC is just kind of, they're thinking about it. They like to win, but not as much as they like football, I guess. I don't know. That's probably an oversimplification. I, I think, I think the, the, I think the thing is, I think the thing is that the SEC and most of the people who are fans are so football minded. They apply that to everything. You have Alabama fans that want Nate Oates fired. And I'm like, why do you want him fired? Like, why do you, like, I, I asked this question to somebody, why do you want him fired? And what else are they going to get? Who else are they going to hire? Like, you realize you're Alabama basketball. You're not Kentucky. You know, you're not Kentucky. It's not like your your team just won the SEC regular season title. And the SEC tournament. You got to the Sweet 16. Yes. Y'all did kind of underachieve because I thought Alabama would have made. I had Alabama going to the Sweet Sixteen for the for for the life for the for the record. I had Alabama going to the Sweet Sixteen, but it's not like Alabama. They're world beaters, but it's the thing with 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 fans, people who are in the SEC, people who are in the LS in the uh, in the SEC. They have this very football like football-minded mentality and they apply it to every to, to, to basketball and um it's unfortunate it's unfortunate in everything and i feel like the sec uh the sec fans need to like fucking grow up 
and understand basketball. I feel like some of them don't. I think they've made good progress this year. Like, I think the SEC's done pretty well. Yeah, the, the, the SEC, in, in this yeah, tournament in, in, in terms general, of the SEC, year, I, absolutely. I've been kind like, of impressed. Um, yeah, I don't know where the fans has. are with that. The teams, yes. The fans, I'm not sure. Like, I would love, I would love to hear what an SEC fan, you know, an Alabama fan or something has to say about all that. And like I said, it's not everybody who roots for Alabama, Auburn, or Florida, or Kentucky, or any of those things. A lot of those teams, a lot of, I follow fans from each school, and some of them are very, very knowledgeable when it comes to basketball and everything. And, um, you know, I feel like uh, at the end of the day, you know, the SEC has improved, like you say, leaps and bounds from where they were 10 years ago. 10 years ago, they used to just get three teams. It would be Florida, Kentucky, and sometimes it would be Alabama. Sometimes it would be LSU. Sometimes it would be Vanderbilt. Kind of like a rotating, yeah. Yeah, it was like a rotating thing. And it's like now you're seeing five or six teams in the the, uh, NCAA tournament in the SEC. That's what I think Calipari has brought to this league because he was like, look, y'all got to step y'all game up. You're seeing facilities being built. You're seeing uh, high name, you know, hot commodity coaches get these jobs. And that brings cachet to your to your league. It's not like when he was in Conference USA, Memphis was everybody's Super Bowl. It was everybody's Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And when he was at Memphis, they would blow teams out by 25, 30 points. They, he was recruiting at he was recruiting at a level that guys in, in, in at Rice or at UTEP or at Houston they weren't recruiting at. And when not he, even close, right? They, when he got to the SEC, he was like, "Look, this is the blueprint. Follow the blueprint." recruit high, you know, high, you know, high name prospects to come to, uh, to come to your school, whether it was Oxford, whether it was Starkville, and you'll reap in, you'll reap in the results. Um, that's the thing that he's brought to the SEC. Um, I think also, it also helps that you have guys who realize that we got to build facilities to keep up with the Joneses. Like facilities is pretty much, facilities are things that recruit themselves. They recruit the athletes. The coaches don't do it, but the facilities do. The facilities recruit those athletes. And I remember, and they will talk, we'll give our picks for the Sweet 16 and, and uh, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Um, I remember going to Oxford with a friend of mine, because again, I'm from Memphis. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at the Tad Smith Coliseum. Tad Smith Coliseum looks like the old Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. It's very, it's round, it's decrepit, it's old and everything. And I'm like, the fact that Andy Kennedy was able to get kids to play in that arena and the the job that he did at, at Ole Miss it, it he doesn't get enough credit for that because he was recruiting kids to play in that dump of in that 
lousy dump of an arena, the Taz Smith Coliseum. <laughs> and he was able to win at a very high level, a level that Ole Miss had never won at. And without those things, you know, he did end up coaching in the, uh, in the new arena, but I always felt like if Calipari didn't call out Ole Miss and say, hey, y'all need to build a new arena, I don't think that shit would have ever gotten done. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's helped them wake up to like, we're in an arms race with basically every sport, um, but particularly basketball and football. Um, you, you can't just go out there and put forth some ho-hum facilities and expect to be even competitive. And I would think that even if you're the SEC and even if, you know, basketball is, is your third or fourth or fifth favorite sport, you'd rather be competitive. Like you don't want to be a bottom feeder in your league all the time forever. And you can't even, you know, be competitive enough to have a good time if you don't have some decent facilities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That being said, it's time to look at the sweet 16 picks for both the women and the men. So um, I haven't cremated my bracket uh sarah i haven't cremated it yet <laughs> i know in 2010 i actually did cremate my back bracket i took it to a barbecue grill for some little match and my man stan walker he looked at it he looked at me like ryan what are you doing like i'm out there with a cigarette smoking a cigarette smoking a cigarette and put it out got my lighter and i lit the damn thing lit the bracket up and buried the ashes right up under the earth of our complex in Memphis. That bad. Yeah, this is when y'all lost to Northern Iowa. So we're gonna start off with the Midwest. Can't your Jayhawks taking on Providence? I'm guessing you're going with the Jayhawks. I'm going with the Jayhawks. Um, Every year, it used to be every year I would do a bracket, like a head bracket and a heart bracket. But this year I only did one bracket. So we're going with the Jayhawks. That's what I've got. And I'm going to stick I'm going that. to say, I, I, I like the Ed Cooley story. I, I love it. You know, this is the first time that Providence has been this far in the NCAA tournament. But I'm with you. I think the um, the road ends t- uh, on thir- the road ends on Friday for them in uh, in Chicago. Uh, to uh, the Jayhawks, so I'm going with Kansas as well. Iowa, Iowa State and Miami, um, and I'm going to say this before we go in and jump into this. Leonard Hamilton deserves his flowers. He deserves his flowers because without Leonard Hamilton, Miami basketball isn't what it is today because he kind of got the ball rolling. And, you know, Jim Laranega, which is, you know, we know him from, you know, a general one generation knows him as the coach that took George, George Mason to the, to the final four. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Miami's won an ACC championship in basketball before football, it says a lot about them, about just how I, I wouldn't say I don't think Miami football is like it's it's on a it was it's been on a downturn for the last twenty years, but it's not like 
um, it's gotten to like Tennessee levels. It's almost there, but not quite. And it's had some bright good spots. There have been some high points for Miami. Yeah, there's been some high points. There's some real but, low ones too. <laughs> yeah, but but for this, for that, for that, the reason why I gotta give uh, respect to Leonard Fournette. I mean, not Leonard Fournette, but uh, Leonard <laughs> Leonard Hamilton. Give him some respect too. But yes, right. I gotta give Leonard Hamilton some respect because he built this, and Miami has never been beyond the Sweet Sixteen in its history in basketball. They have a chance to do that. On Friday night in Chicago, they take on Iowa State. Iowa State had that really good start at the beginning of the season. They kind of tapered off. Uh, they kind of tapered off uh, in conference play. This is a very tough game for me to pick, but I'm I'm gonna stick with Miami. I'm I'm going with Miami. Uh, what what's your what's your opinion on this one? My pick is also Miami, and that is to be honest, based mostly on vibes. Um, because obviously we didn't really expect either of these two teams to be playing in the Sweet 16. So, you know, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to the matchup. And frankly, I bet they didn't either. Um, so I, I just feel like Iowa State has gone about as far as as that team is able to go this year. I don't think it's one of their strongest teams. And, and I think they've already kind of overachieved, and that's about where we're going to land with them. So I also am picking Miami. All right, and who would you have in the uh, in the Elite Eight, Kansas and Miami? I think we're both in agreement. It's going to be Kansas. It's going to be Kansas, yeah. So now we go to the South region. The South region has Arizona, Houston, Michigan, and Villanova. We first start off with Arizona and Houston. Arizona just, you know, Arizona, it, they're lucky. That they got they they escaped with that uh, that win over TCU, um, Houston, and, and you want to talk about a program that used to be really good that is now on the upswing. Houston's been the four straight final. I mean, not four straight final fours. Houston's been the four straight Sweet Sixteens between nineteen ninety between nineteen ninety two and two thousand eighteen. Houston went to one NCAA tournament, and that was based on the strength of a run of a four day run they had in the um in the conference usa tournament in tulsa they had docked off memphis and i think they beat utep to win the conference tournament but they ended up losing in the first round of the ncaa tournament that year in 2010 and that turn that tournament was held in tulsa i think they did beat tulsa to go to the uh, ncaa tournament so between 1992 and 2010, Houston only went to one NCAA tournament. You know, we started 1992, 1992, 93, and then 2017, 2018. Since 2018, Houston has been to four Sweet 16s. They've been to a Final Four. They have the potential to get to a Final Four. And, you know, Sarah, I'm really excited about this matchup. Say whatever you want to say about Kelvin Sampson. That's another coach I think that deserves his flowers. If he just had to stay clean at Indiana, he would have he would have probably took Indiana to great heights. But that didn't happen. He ends up rebuilding his career at Houston. And this game is hard for me to pick, but I, I, I'm gonna have to go with the I'm gonna have to go with Houston. 
I just don't see Arizona eking out a win against the Cougars like they did against TCU. I think you make a really good case. I had initially chosen Arizona, but of course I had chosen Arizona to beat Beaton Hall. So, you know, plenty of things were wrong to begin with there. I, I'm, I'm really starting to lean, though, more toward Houston. I think that you're right that Calvin Sampson is a good coach. I think that Arizona struggled a little too much with TCU, and TCU is not that good. Uh, I initially picked Arizona, but I think I am going to go with you on Houston. Yes, I definitely, definitely agree with you on that. Um, definitely agree with you on that. So now we shift over to the to the second semifinal, Michigan and Villanova. This is another team. Michigan is another team that we did not think was going to be in this situation. Um, uh, this situation um, when the tournament started. Michigan has been playing a lot of great basketball as of late, and they were able to, you know, outmuscle. I mean, they were able to outmuscle a Tennessee team. Rick Barnes is allergic to the Sweet Sixteen. He just <laughs> is. He's just allergic to it. But Villanova, Villanova, you know, let's let's not forget this. Villanova had that uh, staved off elimination by playing an Ohio State team that I had thought that really underachieved and really yeah. you know they really underachieved I thought Ohio State would have been at least a three or a four seed instead of a seven seed yes they beat yes they beat um uh yes they beat Loyola Chicago but I had Loyola winning that game over Ohio State so did State I because, so did I I was because I just didn't see Ohio, I just did not time. see Ohio Ohio State had not shown me anything. Okay? Nothing. All, all year, nothing. And 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 I think also, you know, I like Chris Holman. He's a great coach, but his record in the in March Madness, we're gonna have to have them hard conversations about. I mean, because everybody got the energy for everybody got the energy for Rick Barnes. We I need that same energy for Chris Holman. So that being said. Villanova back in the NCAA, back in the Sweet 16 once again. And I thought about this. We always, I was, we were talking about the generational thing with um, the generational thing when it comes to coaches and who we kind of like see as the face of the program. There's a generation, there's two, there's a generation of kids coming up that only know Jay Wright at Villanova. They don't remember Steve Lopez. And you know, I know remember Steve Lopez as the head coach of Villanova. And I remember uh Ole Miss got their very first win in the NCAA tournament against Villanova in 1999. They lost again, uh they lost in the second round to Michigan State. To most people coming up now, Steve Lopez is the, the the analyst on basketball for, for the NCAA tournament. But he was also a good coach. And it's like now when I think of Villanova, I think of Jay Wright. And I love one mm -hmm. Howard. I love the fact that Chris Weber got back in to the fold when it came to when it comes to the Michigan program. However, I think I think 
that the moment is going to get too big for Michigan. I am going with Villanova. You know, I really wanted to find like some point where I disagree with you, but I think you're exactly right. I think Michigan, you know, is as hot as they are right now. And they certainly have proved me wrong several times already this tournament. I, I think they're going to run out of magic. I don't think they've got enough. And, and Villanova just doesn't even look tired yet. Villanova looks like they're just getting started. Oh yeah, Villanova, Villanova is uh, Villanova right now. They are just they're playing the be their best basketball, uh, their best basketball at the right possible time. And that's what you have to have. You got to have your team. Your teams, if you want to win uh, a national championship, you're gonna have to start playing your best basketball around March first. Because you, you got to peak at the right time. That's almost more important than anything else. You know, more important than anything else, like you said, March 1st, from March 1st to, to the time that you're eliminated in the NCAA tournament, that's when you play your best basketball. Like, you can't control the outcome. You can't control whether your team wins or loses. But that's when you're supposed to play your best basketball because all the eyes are going to be on you and everything. So now we shift to the Elite Eight. And we both have Villanova and Houston. Who are you taking in this uh, in this matchup in the Elite Eight? If this is Villanova and Houston, I I'm going to have to go with Villanova. If it's Villanova and Houston, I might have to reluctantly take Villanova. But uh, I mean, I would I definitely have to pull on my Houston shirt and and get behind that. I just I don't know. I, I like that school. I like that team. But the more sensible pick is Villanova. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So now we go to the East region, North Carolina and UCLA. North Carolina was an NIT team, but they rose to the occasion. <laughs> they took on Baylor. They almost choked against Baylor and they won the game that, you know, they, they won the game and everything. And now they got UCLA. And, and a side note to this, that four of the last five coaches, well, five of the last six, we don't, I, well, I, can, I guess you can count Matt McMahon, who is now the head coach at LSU. But four of the last six coaches for Murray State has led their next, uh, the next job that they got they led that team to the Sweet 16. There's only two wow. that have gone to the Sweet 16 with two different schools. Care to guess who named those two coaches? Uh, you're gonna have to tell me. I don't. I don't know enough Murray State coaches. Okay, Mark Godfrey and Mick Cronin. Mark God, Mark Godfrey really? took. Yeah, Mark Godfrey took North Carolina State and Alabama to the Sweet 16. Mick Cronin took Cincinnati and UCLA to the Sweet 16. They're the only they're the only two they're the only two to ever take two different schools to the to the uh to the Sweet 16. That's a heck of a resume. So who do we who do we think though? I mean, I, I'm leaning toward UCLA myself. I am I'm, I'm going with UCLA as well. I um I'm going with UCLA. I just don't think, you know, I think North Carolina, they had so much emotion after that game. Like there's a saying, like I remember I used this analogy when uh, 
The Blues took on the Blackhawks in 2016, the game seven, uh, to get to the to the conference finals. They had so much in, they had so much emotion um in that series that they didn't have anything left. They had played two emotionally charged series. They played the Stars and they played the Blackhawks, and they ended up winning both of those series. And when it came time for them to take on the Sharks, different story. It was a different story. It was um they they did win, they did take the series to six games, but their energy tank was just on complete it was their energy tank was on was on low. And I think that's what you're gonna be seeing with North Carolina. North Carolina had these two, you know, they had you know the win against Baylor, and then they had that blowout win against Marquette. And I just think that the emotion from that Baylor win, it's gonna pretty much, I think, you know, I I I don't know what what's the word I'm, the term I'm looking for. You have kind of a hangover. It's gonna be a hangover. Yeah, that emotional hangover is that is emotional real. hangover is a is a bitch. Uh, it's a bitch, and it's um, it's something that a lot of these teams gonna be that a lot of these teams gonna have. So I'm I'm definitely gonna pick UCLA in this game here because I just think that the emotional hangover is gonna be too much for North Carolina. I think I think you're right. I agree with that one. And then our next one, I would love to pick St. Peter's, but how could you? Like it's got to be Purdue. I'm sorry. This is this is right now. This is Matt Painter's best chance to get to a Final Four. That's true. This is his best chance because, you know, at one point, I, I, I'll i be honest with you, Sarah, I didn't have, I had Texas going to the Sweet 16. Hmm. And of course, you know, Texas, they're allergic to the Sweet 16. They are. That's just, they are. And even though I believed, even though I did believe that Chris Beard, I've never seen Chris Beard and Bob Stoops in the same place. <laughs> I never seen them in the same place. I literally thought that was Bob Stoops coaching Texas. Uh, Purdue and St. Peter, I love the St. Peter story. Don't get it twisted. I love the St. Peter story. But they cannot out-physical the athletes that Purdue has. No, I don't think they can. And if I'm wrong, it'll be so fun if I'm wrong. Like, it would. I mean, I, 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 I'm in that same camp as well. I, right. I would have absolutely no ill will if they make me look like a fool. Good, great for them. Love it. Happy for them. So excited. But, 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 but I, I think the happening. thing, the thing that got them, the thing that got them to um, the win over Kentucky. I think Kentucky just overlooked them. Kentucky had this, this entitlement where, hey, we're Kentucky, we're just gonna beat you, you're a 15 seed, we never heard of you. That entitlement is what got them eliminated in the first round. I think with Murray State, whew, I just think with Murray State, they just, you know, I, I don't. I just think that they just ran into a buzzsaw. With, with Murray State, they just ran into a buzzsaw. Purdue, I don't see, um, St. Peter bullying, 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 bullying 
Purdue the same way that they bullied Murray State. I'm going with Purdue. I have to go with Purdue. If I'm wrong, that's cool. Everyone else will be wrong too. Nobody's picking St. Peter's. Love that for them, but no. All right, what do we think about the West? So now we shift to the Elite Eight, to, to the Elite Eight version, the Elite Eight. Purdue at UCLA. I, I'm going to have to go with Purdue. I want Matt Painter to get to a Final Four. Do something, do something that Gene Cady could not do. Yeah, and I think Purdue looks really strong. So now we go to the West region, Gonzaga against Arkansas. And I just did some research. I, I, I love trivia, Dalton. I love trivia. Arkansas has been to the regional semifinals eight times in my lifetime. I think they've been to, and I, I think we're around the same age. So I think Arkansas has been to the Sweet Six, to the regional semifinals at least eight times since we've been alive. Um, That's I mean, that's impressive, especially because I never thought much of, oh, uh, no, I remember some good, some good Arkansas years, but they haven't been super recent. Yeah, they haven't been. I mean, the last time, you know, if you're, if you were born after, like, the last time they went to a Sweet 16 before last year was 1996. And ironically, both Creighton and Arkansas, schools that Eddie Sutton coached at, um, made it to the Sweet 16 last year. But now they're going up against Gonzaga. Gonzaga got bullied by Memphis last uh, on Saturday. They got absolutely bullied. And if not for a few ticky tacky calls here and there, I don't think we would be talking about Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. Uh, I don't. I think what uh, Eric Musselman is doing at Arkansas, the thing is, Arkansas has got to shoot a lot better than what they did against New Mexico State. New Mexico State turned that game into a rock fight. Gonzaga, they got to play a lot better because this is not an Arkansas team that you're going to just push around. They're going to make you work for that win. If you want to win, you're going to have to work for it because this is, you know, you got some of these guys that were on that team last year that lost in the Elite Eight to, um, to um to Baylor. They want to get back to that to the Elite Eight. Um it's very hard for me to go and say, oh yeah, I want Gonzaga to win because I had Gonzaga as my national champion. But I did not think well not did not think, but I did not like what I saw in the game against Gonzaga with Gonzaga and Memphis. Gonzaga, yes, they won. There were some great, there were some high points in that game. But I think at the end of the day, Arkansas is going to do everything in their power to bully the fuck out of Gonzaga. I'm going with Arkansas in an upset. Well, that'll be exciting. I, I think that you're, like, all of your criticisms of Gonzaga are exactly right. And where we differ is what I think is going to happen from that. I feel like getting pushed around by Memphis who probably shouldn't have been in that round anyway. You know, Memphis has struggled so much during the regular season. I think that's their wake-up call. I think that they show up more ready to go. Um, I think that they are on fire now and and that that kind of close call is going to propel them. So yeah, I, think, I do agree with that point. I think or, yeah, you, even, even though everything you said is right. 
I think when you have a wake up call like that, it's sort of like when you have like a um um like a heart like when you have like a little like a minor heart attack or something, and you're basically forced to change your lifestyle and stuff. You know, I remember um I had like a pan I had like some sort of like I had like a panic attack or whatever. And it was mainly because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And I'm like, this is a wake up call for me to do what I'm supposed to do. And I think you're absolutely right. Gonzaga had that wake up call because they thought everything was going to be, oh, yeah, we're going to coast through, coast all the way over to the uh, to the um, to the to a national championship. And it didn't it doesn't work that way it just does not work that way and you know and i think when you have that wake up call it motivates you to do better most times it does most sometimes it does and sometimes it does not it'll be exciting to see either way i'll be very impressed if arkansas can take down this gonzaga team so now we shift over to texas tech against duke Michigan State could have made us a uh, Michigan State could have made us a Duke free society, but they did not. <laughs> they did not. But Duke, uh, Duke to me has been very underwhelming. They've been very underwhelming, and and the reason why you may ask yourself, well, Ryan, what do you mean by underwhelming? Okay, one minute they look like world beaters, and then the next minute they get they get beat to sleep. At Cameron Indoor, in Coach K's last game, uh, last home game, and they lose to Virginia Tech, and a part of me was going to pick Michigan State to beat Duke, because I'm like I haven't liked what I've been seeing from Duke. I haven't liked it, and the reason why I don't like it is because one minute they look like they can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, and then the next minute. They're losing to, you know, Virginia Tech and no disrespect to Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech earned that ACC championship that they won. It's just that they got to be consistent. They got to be consistent. Michigan State pushed them around, uh, pushed them around on Sunday. And I'm looking at Texas Tech, Texas Tech. They got a chip on their shoulder. And you look at what they've been doing, been able to do with Mark Adams. And I was actually shocked to learn that he was 64 years old, uh, Mark Adams. I thought he was at least like 50, 55 years old. But the way that Mark Adams has been able to keep it going uh, at Texas Tech after Chris Beard left uh, to go to Texas, you know, it says a whole lot about the um, – uh, and I'm still getting text messages from people saying if I'm alive. Are they? Uh, well, all they gotta do is listen to the podcast. But what? but Texas Tech they play with they play with great tenacity on defense, and I'm just like torn. This is like between JoJo, which one I want to date, JoJo or Blair Blair Erskine. It's very hard to pick who who I want to uh, date between those two. So. That being said, I am going to go, I hate to say it, Sarah, I'm going with Duke. I'm feeling the same way. 
even though I think, again, I think you're right. I think Duke's been inconsistent. Um, I think, you know, that that home loss to Carolina was pretty rough, um, especially, you know, it's such a weak Carolina team this year and, and the Virginia Tech thing that you mentioned. I really, like, I hadn't picked them to get this far. I thought Michigan State was going to be in this round, and I originally picked Michigan State to lose to Texas Tech, which I think is totally reasonable. But that's not how things have gone. And so I think that now that Duke's in the Sweet 16, they have become this team of destiny, and we're going to get a really boring, like, cheesy TV movie ending where Coach K wins it all in his, like, last dance. I, I think, I feel like that's where we're headed now. Like, whoever's in charge of making stuff happen has sort of moved the cosmos around so that this can happen for Duke when it, it obviously shouldn't. And so I have to pick Duke um, because I think they've got some sort of, you know, special celestial help this year. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the Elite Eight would be Arkansas. For me, it's Arkansas and Duke. You have Gonzaga and Duke. Who you got between Gonzaga and Duke? Well, I guess I just said I think Duke's going to win it all, but I'm really torn because I, I really thought Gonzaga was – I had Gonzaga in my title game. So, um, I don't – how can I pick both? I, I'm going to take Gonzaga here even though I just said I was going to do the opposite. I can take multitudes. Uh, it's, 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 I, I totally understand that. I, <laughs> I totally understand that. Uh, for me, I'm going to have to go with Duke, even though I hate this. I hate this. I don't have a strong <laughs> hatred for Duke, but but I will say this before we go on and we discuss the uh, uh, discuss uh, the women's and then we'll close out the podcast. Um, I had a conversation with this guy, a guy named BJ. He's a Kentucky fan. And we talked about how it feels like everyone's like, well, Coach K is this, he's this amazing coach. No question about it. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. But everyone acts like Duke was not a was not, didn't have a storied basketball history before he got there. They had gone to Final Fours. He was hired two years after they played in the national title game against Kentucky. They'd been to Final Fours. They won, they, they won ACC championships. They had, um, they had a history, a really good history. Uh, but I think, and this goes back to the generational thing, if you tell people, old school ACC people, at one point in time, North Carolina State had a better basketball history than Duke. They had a better basketball history. North Carolina State had a better basketball history than Duke. In my lifetime, it's really been North Carolina, Duke, Wake Forest, and North Carolina State in that order. Cause yeah, I was gonna say exactly in that order. Yeah. You know, I had to send out a tweet and tell people, look, I'm alive, I'm recording a podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, but yeah, no. yeah, don't let people panic. Yes. Um so no that being said, they're scary. <laughs> you know, that being said, I feel like everyone was so quick or everyone was always quick to cruci crucify Calipari, but ever, no one has ever been able to crucify Coach K because it's ESP, because it's Duke, because he learned under Bob Knight, 
those things prevented him from getting the same kind of media criticism as Calipari. Yeah, I mean, I think even Bob Knight doesn't get the kind of criticism he probably deserves. Like, yeah, there's some no, about he that doesn't. And, that is protected. But 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 the thing I think also, Sarah, is that Coach K, I think, is a person. I think is a lot more likable. I think. I think I agree. He's I've a ended lot up having to read likable. a lot of stuff about him at work. Yeah, and, and, I think and he's, he's a lot more likable than Bob Knight. I think he's oh, well, a lot yeah. more likable. We just hate Duke because it's this stuffy ass school with rich kids, and their team all their basketball team always win. But I think if you look at Coach K and you look at Bob Knight, I think Coach K learned how to evolve with the times, and that's why he didn't have the downturn at the end of his career, except like like the one that Bob Knight had. Because Bob Knight didn't get back to the second weekend after after 1993. They didn't get back to the second weekend. No, they, the they game went changed, like the world changed, and Bob Knight didn't change enough. And I think you're right, right. that Krzyzewski has had, um, you know, that might be one of his real strengths is that he's he's really been able to adjust um, as the game changes and, and everything, you know, the culture changes, recruiting changes, all of this, and, and has been able to withstand that. I think he's got a lot more versatility and adaptability than maybe he gets credit for sometimes. Even though he gets right. on my nerves. Yeah, he got he got on my <laughs> nerves because he won. He yeah. got on my nerves because he won. Um, so now we shift over to the women, to the women's side. And right. the first game, I really haven't seen a lot of these games, so I haven't seen these you know the teams in action and stuff but south carolina north carolina the old an old acc robbery the battle of the carolinas for a spot in the elite eight who are you picking in that game i think south carolina is unstoppable like i i can't justify picking anyone over south carolina i'm going i'm same way i'm the same way i just think there's just nothing that south carolina and i gotta give dawn staley credit for making March Madness include the women, because I didn't even know that was a thing. That it she's was been only... instrumental, yeah. She's been huge in all of this. I did not even know that was such a thing because I'm thinking, okay, March Madness means the women, right? It's like, how can it not involve the women? Some of the women games have been more exciting than the guys' games. Right, and you can, if you look back at the games last year, or I would guess probably all of the years before that, you know, on, on the court, for the men's games, it says March Madness has the big, you know, blue logo. And if you go back and look at the at the women's the court in the women's games, it just says women's basketball, like generic, like almost embarrassing. Like oh, women's basketball. Thanks, guys. Um, and, and so yeah, everyone had always assumed that March Madness was meant both of them. Why wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't really have a good answer for that, but it didn't um, until this year. And so yeah, that and and Don Staley's had a huge effect on just building the game and advocating for her players and for her sport. And um, there's a lot to admire. I don't think you can really pick against South Carolina. No, you definitely can't. They're just really, really good. Uh, Iowa State takes on Creighton. Uh, Iowa State, at one point in time, Iowa State used to always make trips to the Sweet 16. Uh, They used to always make trips to the Sweet 16 and everything. And Creighton, we talked about this with – 
North Carolina when they played Baylor. Creighton is, I think, is on this emotional hangover because everybody mm-hmm. was dying to see Caitlin Clark from Iowa, and they ended up sending um, Caitlin Clark and Iowa home. Creighton is going up against a yeah. really good Iowa team, Iowa State team, and I'm, I'm guessing you're going. I'm going with Iowa State. I, I, I just don't. Yeah, see I have to go. Iowa State. I was so impressed with Creighton. Um, they they shut Caitlin Clark down. They just like I I can't say enough good things about what Creighton did in Iowa City. Um, but I think you're exactly right between the emotional hangover and I think that they're probably honestly just not quite as talented and not as big as Iowa State. Um, and, and so I'm gonna go Cyclones with that one for sure. Louisville against Tennessee. It feels so good to see Tennessee back in the Sweet 16 once again. Uh, they're going up against Louisville in the Wichita Regional. Ooh. Wichita, my former home. It's an adequate city. Did you ever have any? Did you have any like interactions with Greg Marshall when he was at Wichita State? Um, I never did. Um, I, was I he was to- he that big of a dick in in Wichita from what from the stories I've heard? You know, I didn't know anything about it until that news broke. I was uh, kind of surprised. Um, he, I mean, he was definitely kind of a yeller. You can kind of see that, you know, even in his public image that he didn't seem like the world's friendliest and cuddliest coach. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't heard any rumors. I wasn't really, wasn't working in media really at the time. So I wasn't super privy to that stuff, but I was a, a little bit surprised to hear, you know, all those accusations about how he treated those players and, and other people. So I was kind of surprised by that, but um, I had I had been to a several Wichita State games and they really do have like a great atmosphere you can't beat and um, all of that kind of stuff. But I don't yeah I don't know Wichita I, I did get to cover um, a men's game there when they did the first round in Wichita a few years ago. Um, so that was that was exciting. What year was that? I still have my press pass because I was so excited. It doesn't even say what year. That's so weird. Huh. After all that, it was like 20, like 17 or something. Um, so I know that Wichita is like super stoked to be hosting this stuff. Um, they love when the world can turn and look at Wichita because it's obviously such an overlooked city. So I'm stoked for them, even though I really didn't like living there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see Tennessee back. And obviously, like, you can't beat their tradition. But Louisville is going to be tough to beat. I, I don't see how we're getting past Louisville. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, definitely agree with you on that. I just don't see. I think Louisville is just a buzzsaw. They're a machine. Um, Tennessee, I'm grateful to see them back in the fold again. But I'm, I'm going with Louisville in this one. I had Louisville uh, in the Elite Eight in my bracket. Mm-hmm, and I think... They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna do the damn thing on uh on the twenty sixth, and they're gonna beat Tennessee. We have Michigan against South Dakota. South Dakota, another team that is dealing with that emotional, uh, that emotional uh, hangover. More than likely, they're gonna be taking on Michigan, the three seed, and I- I'm guessing you're going with Michigan, right? Yeah, I mean, I I was so thrilled to see uh south dakota do what they did but again yeah the emotional hangover and you know we're dealing with you know what is likely a much more talented team in michigan and and i think we're actually going to be set up for a couple of really like kind of bummerish days watching 
all of these upsets just kind of like go by the wayside and see mostly favorites in the Elite Eight and Final Four. Um, you know, it's not going to be quite as exciting in some way. Well, it, it'll be exciting, but I think we're going to get a lot more predictable results this time. And a lot of our favorite Cinderella's are going to leave. And that's kind of the hard part about this, this part of the tournament, these rounds is, is that, um, you know, all your favorite little guys, for the most part, they don't get any farther. If I'm wrong, that's awesome. Like, I love being wrong about that stuff, but I, I can't, I cannot picture South Dakota beating Michigan. I no, really any I mean, no, no, definitely not. De- definitely not. Um, definitely not. I can, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, the next game, uh, the next game in the Spokane, in Spokane region, Stanford against Maryland. Stanford won the national title last year. We're going, I'm, I'm, I, I like Maryland, but I'm going with Stanford. I'm going with Stanford, but you know, Maryland, Maryland might have it in them. I don't know. I don't know. It's really tough because Stanford is Stanford's so good. I don't think they're as good as they were last year, but they're real good. And then uh, Ohio State in Texas. Ohio State they just they just outmuscled LSU in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I wanted to go with Texas. But I'm going to go with the hot hand. I think Ohio State, Ohio State, pulls off the upset against Texas. I'm going with Texas. I mean, I think that Ohio State upsetting them would be pretty impressive. But I just don't. I again, Texas feels like more of a buzzsaw, and you know, Ohio State being a six seed, and and I think they're going to get tired. I think they're going to be outworked, and and that Texas is going to come forward, and then probably get you know, crushed to smithereens by Stanford. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. And then the last region, North Carolina State. This is my favorite region. North Carolina State, Notre Dame, Indiana, UConn. UConn, uh, back in the Big East, they're the number two seed. They're taking on Indiana. You want to see Indiana topple uh, uh, the giant that is UConn. But Absolutely. UConn, they've been to they've been in this situation before. They know what it means to be in this situation before. I'm picking UConn based on the experience that they have. Well, the experience is huge, and also this is Bridgeport. I think as soon as they rolled out the bracket, you saw Connecticut in the Bridgeport, um, you know, uh, regional. It's really almost impossible to pick against them. They're basically at home. Um, they've got you know everybody pretty much healthy now and and uh everyone's ready to go i i I think indiana is not a crazy pick but i just i feel like it's got to be i gotta it's got to be yukon yes that's definitely that is definitely um definitely a a shoe-in right there um definitely a shoe-in so now we shift over to north carolina state notre dame Battle of two ACC heavyweights, North Carolina State, the number one seed, Notre Dame, the five seed. North Carolina State won a regular season title in the COVID year. And now they're back in the Sweet 16. And they're one of the, and, and a lot of people don't know this, North Carolina State is one of the most successful programs to never win, um, to never win the uh, a, a national champion 
a national championship. So they're going up against Notre Dame. I've seen how North Carolina State play. I've watched, I've watched their uh, first round game and I was just very impressed with how they were playing, uh, how they were playing in the first round. They just seemed like one of those buzzsaw teams like you were talking about with Texas and uh, UConn. I am going to pick North Carolina State over Notre Dame. I'm really torn. Um, I think I had originally chosen NC State um, for a lot of the reasons you said, but when I saw what Notre Dame did to Oklahoma, that's, I, I don't know, the, the final score with that game was 108 to 64. Yes, they, like, I was watching part of the game at a bar, and I'm like, holy shit, they did this like, You want to stop floor. the game, like, holy, yeah, like, there's, there, I've never, you know, it's unusual, you feel like you need a mercy rule, but good lord. So that, that's really sort of made me think that Notre Dame might really just be that hot. Um, so if I'm going to pick an upset, that's the upset I'm picking is Notre Dame over NC State. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, so now we shift to our final four picks. Uh, my final four picks, I am going with UConn, South Carolina, Stanford, and Louisville. Me too. I mean, I think those are boring but sound choices. Like, they're high seeds for a reason. Oh, yes. They're definitely, you know, high seeds for uh, uh, high seeds for for a reason. I mean, these are these are the standard bearers in in women's college basketball and stuff, and you, you can't bet against them. So, that being said, one last thing, Sarah, before I let you go, sure. I feel like we've been talking on we've been talking for the longest. Like someone had actually wanted to come on this podcast, and they were like, "Sometimes your podcasts are like forty-five minutes, and then sometimes it's an hour." <laughs> and well, we minutes. went through so much. We went through like you know two entire brackets. Yeah, yeah, we went through like two entire brackets. Normally, the podcasts are like forty-five minutes, but but uh, one last thing, Bill Self. Is about to be the winningest coach in Kansas history. Uh, right? in, in, a, in a couple of years, if he doesn't retire, if he doesn't decide to retire after this season. I would be, yeah, shocked if he retired after this season. That would be a big deal. What, I think and, he's got and, quite and, a few and, more years from your him. point, where does he stand? Like, I, I want to do this quick exercise because I wanted to do, I was going to do this for a blog post ranking the 25 best college basketball coaches in our in my lifetime um mainly on the men's side it was mainly on the men's side but it's like you kind of like trying to like put it together with men's and women's i say the when like the top two if we were both adding just men and women's just both men and women's the top three would be pat summit gino and coach k in that order yeah you know, yeah, I'll give but, you but, that. But because, you know, we're pressing for time and I need people to stop blowing me up and saying, oh, are you alive? I'm like, dude, I'm alive. Okay? <laughs> if you had to choose your top 10 coaches in college basketball, men's college basketball in your lifetime, how would you rank them? Um, and, and, and we'll just do like t- our top 10. Like, I'll give you a name and then you give me a name. Okay. All right. I mean, this is hard. Um, all my rankings are going to be based on, I think, feelings rather than, you know, facts. But that's okay. fair. 
that's fair. <laughs> that's okay, so for me, number 10, I got to go, I'm going to go with Rick Barnes because, you know, and it's not, you know, I know he's allergic to the Sweet 16, but Rick Barnes is basically, you know, when I think of Texas basketball, I think of Rick Barnes. I think of Rick Barnes and he basically built that program up and I will say, you know, despite the, I mean, he's taken three different schools to the sweet 16. He took Texas, Clemson and, and Tennessee. All three got orange in them. So I give him credit for taking all three <laughs> schools with the color with orange in their colors to the sweet 16. Um, so I'm going with him as number 10 on my list. And he was also, I think one of the, uh, he also won a conference championship, um, before Kansas went on their little 18 year, uh, sojourn through the big yeah. 12. So he would be number 10 on my list. Um, I think the next one I might say would be Eddie Sutton while we're on the topic of orange schools. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Eddie, Eddie Sutton, I, I I think Eddie Sutton doesn't get, I, I wish he had gotten into the Basketball Hall of Fame when he was able, when he was in his right mind. They waited until he was damn near dead to put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and he was actually really like, my, enjoy that. He was actually my number nine, uh, my number nine uh, coach, because when you think of Oklahoma State basketball for people of my generation, you think of Eddie Sutton, you think of what he did, you know, with the final fours and the conference championships. And the fact that he damn near was dead when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame and he was not even able to enjoy it. Because I think by that time he was not even, he couldn't even talk. Like he wasn't even able to talk. He yeah. was basically bedridden. And they put him in the Hall of Fame right before he died weeks I before am glad he, he died. at least got to see it but right he would have enjoyed it a little bit earlier yeah but it, it's like i never understood why they waited that long to put him in and the theory is oh yeah he got kentucky in trouble kentucky basketball in trouble and you're not supposed to do that oh he mm. wasn't uh he it was an alcoholic or dude took four schools to the ncaa tournament he took creighton to um Creighton to uh, the NCAA tournament. He is responsible for creating the modern Arkansas, Arkansas basketball. Because without his tenure at Arkansas, there is no Nolan Richardson. There is no Eric Musselman. There is no Bud Walton Arena. Well, so who else is on your list? It sounds like you made a list already. Uh, number eight for me, I would have at number eight, Mark Few. And yes, I know, you know, Mark Few was on my list because there's a generation of kids that don't, you know, when you think of Gonzaga basketball, 23 straight NCAA tournaments, that's unheard of. Like, you know, when I was a kid, it was, North Carolina was in the NCAA tournament every year. And you look at a person that was born in 1999. If you were born in 1999, you have never seen an NCAA tournament without Gonzaga. 
And to take Gonzaga from this small Jesuit school, building on something that Dan, that Dan Munson built on is amazing. And he, he's had offers to go to UCLA and other schools, but he's been able to stay and do this in Spokane. So I'm definitely putting him at number eight on my list. Yeah, I think he's he's built the program and, and you really can't say enough about what he's done out there in Spokane and, and taking Gonzaga from, you know, just like a, a kind of a threat to your bracket to being like legitimate contender for a title. So who else would be on your list? Well, you know, you've got Coach K. Personally, for me, it's all Roy. Oh, yeah. Roy Williams for me and and that's that's a personal bias because I grew up in Lawrence and and you know he was there until 2003 and so it's kind of a, like a formative memory for me um so when I think about good coaches like Roy Williams always comes to mind Roy, Roy Williams is up there for me I have whoo Billy Donovan back-to-back national championships those that oh. was some a couple of really impressive teams yeah, uh, back-to-back uh, national championships. Um, you have, you know, he basically built Florida basketball. And I think when you look at, when you look at Florida basketball, you can only, you can't think of Florida basketball without thinking about Billy Donovan. So That's Billy true. Donovan is definitely number seven on my list. Uh, who would be also on your list? Um, well, uh, I've got a couple of, um former Jayhawks and Dean Smith and Adolph Rupp, who uh, maybe you've heard of them. They're pretty good. Yeah, Adolph Rupp is up there. Like, it, like <laughs> it, it, in, in terms of like in, in my lifetime, like if you if you wanted to like talk about like some of my, like my, the, like to me the greatest college basketball, men's basketball coaches all, all the time, I'll have Coach K, Dean Smith, uh, Adolph Rupp, and all those guys on my list. Yeah, you gotta go Wooden, obviously, if you wooden, wanna go way back. Of course. But like in, in terms of like my lifetime, I have to put I'm putting Jim Calhoun. Jim Calhoun is on my list because he built he was a, he's a program builder. He built yeah. UConn basketball into a power. Um, Bo Ryan did the same. Bo Ryan at Wisconsin. I mean, there's generations of kids that don't know how bad Wisconsin basketball used to be or how bad Wisconsin football used to be. That's true. Um, you have uh, who else I would put up there. I mean, Cal as much Perry, as it pains me, I was going to say Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim, he was in a Ghost Rider episode, like a, a Ghost Rider episode. Is that true? Now yes. I need to go find it, that. You think it's on it, YouTube? He was. It was the new Ghost Rider mysteries. Interesting. Okay. He was so in I've a. He was in a, He was in an episode of the new Ghost Rider mysteries. Well, I need to go find that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna post it up. Uh, post the link up when I finish. Uh, awesome. When we finish this podcast. Amazing. Uh, there's a, so many, it's just so many, it's really hard to pick, just figure out 10, 10 coaches, because there's been so many great coaches in our lifetime. You've had guys like Thad Matter, uh, Thad Matter at Ohio State, mm-hmm. Lute Olsen at Arizona. Yeah. Um, Dale, I, mean, I wasn't around. Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. But I guess Bobby Knight by the time we, yeah, kind of washed by the time we were really Paying attention. They, by yeah. the time we were when we were kids, he was washed. Bob Huggins, I hated Bob Huggins, but I Bob like Huggins, him. now I love him. And I feel like 
they're gonna give him the same treatment that they're gonna get that they gave Eddie Sutton. They're gonna wait till he's dying to put him in the Hall of Fame. He's gonna get in, but yeah, I think it'll be a long time. It's gonna be a long time, and I'm like, that guy deserves his flowers. Um, Norm Stewart is another one. I daily I pray for him to be in bubble wrap because we've lost so many coaching greats over the last two or three years. We lost really John true. Thompson, John uh, John Chaney. We've lost John Thompson, John Chaney. Uh, we've lost. I'm trying to think who else we who else have died. Uh, Lute Olson. Lute Olson oh, yeah. Died. Yeah, that was a recent one. Yeah. And uh, we, we're losing a lot of those legends. And uh, uh, Gene Cady is another one I would have up there. Gene Cady. Uh, I know you talked about Dean Smith. Even in our formative years, North Carolina was still getting to the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they were getting to the Final Four. So even in his last year, Dean Smith got to the Final Four. They played, I think they played, uh, I think they played Kentucky in the Final Four. Either they played Kentucky or Arizona. I mean, there's just like, there's just so many that you can say we're, we're so good and so formative for the sport. And we've been really lucky to enjoy some incredible basketball in our lifetimes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But anyway, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for dropping by the podcast. Folks, I am alive. The podcast will be up on Wednesday morning. <laughs> and as always, thank you for your time this time. We've covered so much tonight All on right. the podcast. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. And, and uh, as always, thank you for your time this time. And until next time, we will see you down the road.